Sunday. In the book of 1 Peter, uh, for the next few weeks, we're going to, uh, to look uh, at uh, some different passages. And I'm going to preach uh, straight through uh, the book of 1 Peter, uh, but uh, instead a, a few uh, select uh, passages uh, that talk to us uh, about what it means to live in exile. Uh, what it means to live in exile. Um, I was telling somebody before service, I was uh, reading something that uh, a missionary had written. He had spent many years uh, in Asia, uh, in a country he could not disclose. Uh, but when he finally, uh, due to some family health issues, uh, came back to the States, uh, was talking about how stunned uh, he was at the... Uh, deterioration uh, of America uh, and how similar uh, our spiritual condition was uh, to the country he'd been in Asia uh, and how it required, uh, in his opinion, uh, a different uh, style of, uh, of living. Uh, we, most of you in here are old enough, uh, you remember a time when the Christianity, the church, uh, was a, a major uh, power, a major influencer in society. Uh, politicians made decisions uh, based on how the Christians, how the church would respond to that decision. Uh, they didn't want to make a decision that angered the church or upset the church. Uh, they would come out and, 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 and talk to believers and find out uh, where they believe. As I've shared with you before several times about how uh, for many years in Kannapolis where the fire siren used to be on top of the wards building in between uh, First Presbyterian, First Baptist, and Trinity Methodist, and they had a sign in the fire department. You didn't set the siren off during church hours. They want to interrupt the church. Uh, that was the influence uh, that the church had. Uh, many of you are still old enough to remember uh, the laws about uh, selling alcohol. Uh, they didn't sell alcohol uh, on, uh, on Sunday morning. There, there were a lot of rules and laws of that nature uh, that, uh, that were influenced by the church. We had uh, a, a seat at the table. Uh, we had some influence. Uh, and I'm not saying we have none, but we certainly don't have uh, what we one time did. Uh, I will just give you a, a simple uh, example uh, to, to kind of frame that a little bit. Uh, if, you, if, a, if some decision was uh, coming before uh, the politicians today and one decision they could make uh, would upset the church and one decision they could make would upset the LGBTQ, STP, uh, ABC community. Um, which way do you think they would tend to vote? Um, they, they would tend to lean towards not upsetting the, the, the alphabet community uh, more than they would the church. We have, we have lost some of our influence. And so what do we do about that? Uh, we typically, uh, we moan and groan. Uh, we complain, we whine, uh, we, you know, we pout, uh, we, you know, all kinds of responses. But Peter was writing at a time that was very similar. Uh, he was writing to uh, the Christians um, who were, as he calls them, in exile. Now, 
most of us, if you know anything about Scripture and think about a group of people being in exile, uh, you think about, uh, for example, when the Israelites in the Old Testament were uh, in Egypt, um, or in, in later when they were uh, carried away to Babylon. Uh, these people hadn't been exiled in that manner. They were still living in their land. Uh, they were still where they had chosen to be. Uh, many of them had left Jerusalem uh, because of uh, a, a governmental ruling, but uh, they were uh, they were out scattered about, but they were pretty well living free. They had they could go and come and they could gather and worship, uh, but they were being persecuted for their faith. And again, when we hear the word persecute, we tend to think of somebody beating you with a stick or something or throwing you in jail. Uh, again, that wasn't the case. They were being ridiculed. They were being shunned in the community. They were being made fun of. Uh, again, even the term Christian uh, came about during that time because uh, it was actually an insult uh, that, was, uh, that was meant to say, oh, you're like Jesus, you're like Christ. Uh, and so it was actually meant to be a, an insult uh, when it came about. And that was the kind of uh, circumstances they were, uh, they, were, they were living in for trying to govern their home, living their life uh, by, by Christian standards. They were being ridiculed uh, by society, by their own family, and they were in that circumstance. And so this book, uh, this little letter of 1 Peter, is extremely appropriate for where uh, we find Christianity at uh, in 2024. Uh, we're not exiled. We've not been uh, banished. We, we're not in the dungeon. Uh, we're not uh, chained to the walls like uh, Paul and Silas were in the book of Acts. Uh, but we are uh, often uh, at the, uh, the, the receiving end of ridicule and, uh, and, and jokes and sarcasm. Uh, you, you know, you can be, uh, you, you can, uh, you can say most anything you want uh, as a comedian or in Hollywood uh, about a Christian, uh, but that's probably about the only group. Uh, if you say anything about, uh, you know, a, a, a race or a group of people or a type of people or a nationality of people, somebody uh, will, you're probably going to get canceled. Uh, you know, you're probably going to get uh, taken off the air, taken off the stage. But you're, it's free game on, on a believer. Uh, you can say pretty much whatever you want. So what do we do? How do we live in that time? Do we go and live in a cave somewhere? Uh, or what? Peter's going to give us uh, several things, uh, some characteristics, I guess you'd say, uh, of what our life ought to look like uh, as we live in this time. Until Jesus comes, we've got to live in this world, in a world that uh, I, I don't see it changing anytime soon. Uh, that this world, in fact, I, I, according to Scripture, I see it only getting worse. Uh, that Christians are going to be uh, rejected and, uh, and mistreated and ridiculed and laughed at and, uh, and on the receiving end of, uh, of supposed jokes and those kinds of things. We're going to get uh, passed over for uh, for promotions at work and uh, some of those kinds of things that uh, are going to happen. And so what do we do? 
Well, the first thing I, I think we need to look at, and, and I'm trying to, try to take these, not necessarily in scriptural order, but uh, picking them out again, picking and choosing here, some of the things that, uh, that he's going to point to. Uh, and the first thing that uh, he writes about is this idea, uh, the concept that even in those types of situations, even in that environment, Christians should be noted for their hope. We should not lose hope even in a time of exile. Again, understand my word exile. We're not talking about banished from our country. We're talking about being in our country, but being on the bottom of the totem pole. Uh, again, it's a place that Christianity is not used to being in the history of this nation. Uh, you know, uh, we're used to, uh, again, if you're old enough, you're, you're used to a time when, uh, again, the church dominated, Christianity dominated things. We, uh, and now we see laws specifically uh, aimed and directed at uh, being punitive towards the church and towards Christianity. We're not used to that. So how do we exemplify Christ from the bottom? You know, how do we exemplify Christ from the outside, uh, from the edges uh, of society instead of being the center uh, of society? And the first thing uh, that he says here uh, in verse 15, if you look there with me in chapter 3, he says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and Fear. So notice what he says. He, he doesn't say it's optional. Uh, he says always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. And so the, the statement is clear. Uh, the observation is clear there that hope is not optional for the believer. That, that believers should have hope. We should have a hope that is radiant. We should have a hope uh, that is uh, evident to those around us. They should see that, that joy, and, and there are several synonyms that we could use, hope, joy, faith, confidence, uh, belief, any of those words uh, will work, but Peter calls it hope. And we are to have that hope, and it is to be so evident uh, that, that people ask us, why do you have it? You know, what, what is it uh, about you? Uh, I think that should be the ambition of every believer, to live your life in such a way, uh, to have such a, uh, a testimony about you that, that someone would walk up to you and say, hey, I don't really know you, but I wonder, why do you seem to always have joy? Why do you always seem to have hope? What is it in you that the rest of the world doesn't have? Uh, what is it that uh, is working uh, in, in, in your life uh, that, is, uh, that is different? If you back up uh, in First uh, Peter, in chapter 1, uh, beginning in uh, verse 1 there, he says, Peter, an apostle of Christ, to the strangers or exiles, depending on uh, which translation you're carrying. To the strangers scattered through Pontus, uh, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. So he says, you're, you're strangers. You know, how many of you can identify with that? That in, in this world today, in, in, uh, in the last 12, 13 or so hours of 2023 headed into 2024, do you ever look at our world, do you ever look at our community, ever look at our nation and go, and it just don't feel right. 
I feel like I'm a stranger in my own land. You know, uh, it just doesn't, you know, it's not the, the nation I grew up with. It's not the land I grew up in. It just, man, things have changed. That, you know, that's why we sit around, that's, that's why one of our favorite songs is give me that old-time religion. We, we remember what things used to be like, and we feel like strangers in our own land. We feel like, you know, that, that we're just kind of on the outside, the outcast of, of, of society. And Peter's writing, that's the people uh, that he is writing to, those Christians uh, throughout Asia that he calls strangers. Or, uh, again, if you've got a, a newer translation, he calls uh, the word is exiles. You, you exiles, you, you strangers. Again, they, they, they weren't exiles in that traditional sense. They were um uh, again, they were just they, they were just people who were living in their land and where they chose to live, uh, but uh, was not uh, were home. Uh, Christianity had not yet become criminal. Uh, we know that eventually uh, the Roman government would basically make Christianity uh, criminal. They would bring people in, and they would have to pledge allegiance to Caesar, uh, or they would die. That hadn't come about yet. Uh, they were still free uh, to be Christians. Again, that they were living in, in relative peace. I, I kind of hesitate to use that word because they were being uh, they were being uh, attacked and, and, and criticized for their faith, but uh, they weren't being strung up yet. They weren't being uh, fed the lions yet. They weren't being uh, burned at the stake yet. They were just receiving ridicule. And so these are the people that uh, he, he was writing to. They were being insulted and ridiculed by family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, those uh, kinds uh, of people. And again, it's the time when, when, when Christian, the word, actually became an insult. Uh, you, you know, and, and it's kind of become that way today. Uh, you may have even heard somebody say, oh, you one of them Christians. Yeah, that, that, you know, it's kind of gone back to that now. Oh, you one of them Christian people. You know, uh, you want them kind, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and we kind of, we're going right back to the circumstance uh, that Peter is writing about. And he writes here, he calls something here, uh, I want to investigate for just a moment, uh, this phrase that, uh, that, that he uses here when he calls them fiery trials. He, he says in First Peter chapter 4, uh, he says, Believe, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. As though uh, some strange thing happened to you. Uh, again, Peter says to him, says, don't think it's odd that you're going through these things. Don't think it's unusual. Don't, you know, uh, and I think that's part of the problem that American Christians have uh, because of the relative uh, comfort we've, we've enjoyed in our country for the last uh, 200 years. Uh, the relative power that we have, uh, the influence that we've had, that, that now we think it's strange. We, we think it's weird that, uh, that this world would somehow reject us as, uh, as Christians. We, what's the problem here? And so we think it's strange, and, and we don't understand it. He says, don't think it's strange. Don't think it's unusual. That's just the world we live in. Now, that's where we are. Uh, and, and again, we have come back to that uh, in this world, uh, in this time. We have come back to a time when we shouldn't think it's strange. We shouldn't be shocked if at work we didn't get passed over for a promotion uh, because of our faith. Uh, they don't want to promote you because of your faith, because they might want somebody to work on Sunday, and, and you're going to object. 
they might they, they might pass you over uh, at uh, work for a promotion or a position or something uh, because you don't go to the the parties and the bars and those kind of things with the rest of the workers. They they, they see you as strange. Uh, you know, uh, and so Peter says, don't think that's strange. You, you might have neighbors that, uh, that look at you weird because you get up on Sunday morning early and you come to church and they, they look at you like, what's up with them people? You know, they can sleep in today. You know, they, they, you know, they, they, they look at you uh, odd. You might, they might see you in the yard and you might start talking to them about the Lord or your church or something like that. And they think you're weird. They think you're strange. It's the world we live in. We shouldn't think it's strange. When they treat us that way, we should honestly, uh, based on what Peter says, logic says, if we shouldn't think it's strange that we have fiery trials, we actually should think it's strange if we don't have them. Something's wrong. We're not living, so we're not exemplifying uh, something that uh, would put us into those circumstances. Uh, so uh, Peter again in these fiery trials, uh, he says, you're just being like Jesus. You shouldn't think uh, that something strange uh, has, uh, has happened to you. We know uh, we looked at this back uh, a few weeks ago as we were looking at the promises of the Old Testament concerning Jesus. The stone that the builders rejected. So we shouldn't think it's strange when, when these things uh, are happening. And so we're going to look at how Peter says, then if it's not strange, then we've got to figure out what normal is. We've got to figure out what do we do during these fiery trials. And so this morning as we uh, look at this again, uh, notice we're going to back up from, from the passage that we looked at a moment ago, verse 15. Starting in verse 13, uh, we see here these, uh, these words. Let's, uh, again, he says, And who is he that will harm you? If the followers of that which is good, but if you suffer for righteousness' sakes, happy are you? Those are two words, honestly, that uh, we're not jumping up and down about. Harm and suffer. Harm and suffer. Uh, those are words you know, we don't particularly care for, especially in light of uh, the fact uh, of being a believer. Who is he that will harm you? And Peter says it. Who is he that will harm you if you be a follower of that which is good? You try to say, hey, probably all of us at some point in our life, uh, our Christian experience have thought something like this. I'm trying to do right. I try to live right. I tithe. I go to church. I read my Bible. I sing. I do all these things. I try to help the poor, whatever. I try to do these things. And yet, what in the world? Why am I having to go through this? When I try to live right. Peter says, don't think it's strange. Don't think it's strange that people want to harm you if you have to suffer. Now, I want to kind of, again, drill down just on those two words for a moment uh, and, and, and kind of set the parameters here, uh, if you will, of what Peter's talking about. Uh, because, I don't know about you, but when I think of harm and persecution, I kind of immediately go off the deep end. You know, uh, you know I, I know enough church history uh, to know what how the church has been persecuted. You know, take take fellows out in the yard and tie them to a post and cover them in tar and set the tar on fire and use them for lamps in the yard. 
uh, you know, those kind of things. Put them in great big metal pans and build a fire under them uh, and, and set them, set them fry them, basically. Uh, deep fry believers. You, you know about feeding them to the lions, chaining them to a metal chair in the middle of the Colosseum and building a fire under that chair. Those, you know, when I think of persecution, and I immediately, whoo, you know, right off the deep end is where I go. But, but I want you to understand here uh, that while these two words that are used here certainly can mean those things. Uh, you know, again, you don't have to study much Greek to understand harm and suffer. Got it. You know, uh, you know I learned that. You know, I know enough English to know those two words. Uh, but the Greek words that, that are used there, again, we know that in society, we know that in history, men and women and children have been murdered. They are today. Not in the past, but still today. Uh, are being murdered uh, for their faith. We have Muslim countries where, uh, where one of their family members will uh, come home and, uh, and the family will find out they've accepted Christ and they'll cut their head off and put it on a stake in the front yard. You know, uh, those kinds of things. There are people still suffering horrendously for their faith. And these words certainly uh, can mean that. They're having, again, their heads cut off. They're being abused. They're being imprisoned. That there are uh, people all around the world uh, who are still who are in prison today uh, because of their faith. Uh, and so that, that can be the case. Uh, and, and again, but here, here's what I want to say to you this morning, is that all believers will in all likelihood, according to Peter and Scripture and experience, suffer some kind of harm, some kind of persecution. Now, again, I don't think it's in our immediate future. Again, I wouldn't be overly shocked that we're going to see that actual physical type persecution in America, but I think we are well aware that persecution exists. There's probably no one in here uh, who can't tell some story uh, about their walk with Christ, their experience in the workplace, in the community, in their home, with their family, where they have been ridiculed, rejected, made fun of for their Christian faith. It may have been something as simple as you saying at Christmas dinner last week, before we eat, let's say, the blessing, and somebody, ah, hush, we want to eat. We ain't got time for that. You know, it may have been small. I want you to understand this morning again that these two words that Peter used here uh, cover the whole gamut of things. That, that everything uh, is involved. The, the definition of harm is simply to injure, uh, to hurt, uh, to mistreat. So, so you don't have to be thrown in a dungeon to be harmed. Um, I, I don't know, uh, you know, that's like that old saying that the kids use sometimes. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You know what, I, I don't know about you, I've lived long enough to find out that thing's a lie. Words do hurt. You know, they hurt bad. I mean, there's people walking around today as adults with scars from words that were said to them when they were a child. You know, from, from abusive parents and those kinds of things. There, there are people who, who, you know, if you don't know that words will hurt you, I promise you, you just have never had the right words thrown at you. Because words hurt. Sometimes what even worse than physical injury. Because nobody can see them and nobody knows they're there. And there's not much you can, you know, you get a physical injury, you, you know, you, you, around my house you get a boom and you put a band-aid on it. You know, I don't know, you cut your arm off, you band-aid on it. 
You know, it don't matter. You think you got an injury, put a band-aid on it. You know, somebody else gets hurt, put a band-aid on it. Put a band-aid on me because they got hurt. Yeah, you, know, you get a couple two-year, three-year-olds around your house. You'll find out, you know, you know how that works. You know, one gets a band-aid, the whole house got to have a band-aid. You know, and that's just the way it works. Persecution, harm, he says. Simply, the word simply means to cause to dislike. Again, Christianity in our culture today has been pushed from the center to the edges. And by and large, it is disliked. Suffer. Again, experiencing physical pain. So again, Peter uses two words here that covers every aspect of pain, of suffering. The word, again, it's used all through the New Testament. Again, it doesn't, notice, I want to be clear, it doesn't rule out the possibility of physical harm, but it includes everything else as well. Laughing and mocking and ridiculing you for your faith. Again, just think about the key influencers in our society. If you were ranking the influencers in our society, what groups, what segments of society have the most influence, how far down the line would you have to go before you came to the church? To Christianity. You would have a long list if you did it correctly. Now, let me be quick to say, much of that is our own fault. We've given it up willingly in many cases. But we have lost that position in our nation. So how do we respond? This is the gist, the joint, the, the, the focus of what Peter talks about here. He says... We respond. Do not, look in verse 14, do not be afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to them that ask you a reason for the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. Let's talk for a minute. We understand, again, harm and suffering. And let's understand how we respond. We respond with hope. Hope is an amazing thing. Hope's used in a lot of ways. But here he says, uh, he's writing to a group of people who are living like us in uh, uh, various levels of persecution. I'm sure in America that persecution, I, I know, I'm sure I'm positive, that even in America, persecution varies depending on where you're located. I'm quite certain, for example, that it's more difficult to be a Christian in most of our large cities. Most of our large cities are very left liberal leaning. Look at their policies, their laws, their rules, uh, those kinds of things. Look at their population uh, and, and, and look at how they vote. Uh, and, and, and the types of businesses that uh, are in this. I'm sure there's much less Christian persecution in, down in Finger. Everybody know where Finger is? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Now where finger is. Down there where the sign for the city's on both sides of the four before. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure there's much less Christian persecution in finger than there is, say, in Raleigh or Asheville. There's a great deal of difference between even Asheville and Hendersonville. I'll be honest with you. I'm all out, don't care. Asheville just ugh, gives me the creeps. I'm down Asheville, just, you know. Hendersonville's a whole different environment. There are people all over our society facing different levels of persecution. But, and again, go back to those two words, harm and suffer. But Peter says no matter what level of persecution you're facing, whether it's somebody laughing at you, ridiculing you, saying, oh, you want them Christians, or somebody wanting to hang you, he says you face it the same way. You face it with the hope of Jesus Christ. It's easy to have some hope when somebody says, ah, you going to church today? You're crazy. A whole lot easier to have hope then than somebody says, if you pray again, we're going to burn you at the stake. That's a different level of hope, isn't it? Peter doesn't, he describes different levels of persecution, but he says the response to all of them is hope. To have hope, to have joy, to have peace. He, he reminds them, he says, you have hope because no matter which level of persecution you are facing today, my friends, if you know Christ as your Savior, your hope, your future is in Him, not in them. Yeah. And so no matter what level of persecution, suffering, harm you face, you face it with the hope of Jesus Christ. Again, Peter doesn't deny their persecution. He doesn't say, oh, you're making it up, you're dreaming, it's not real. No, he acknowledges it. He calls them fiery trials. But to all of it, his response is that believers should have confidence, joy, hope, faith, again, whatever words you want to put in Jesus Christ. That we trust Him in that matter. Our hope is, is not in this world. You know, our hope is not in being received by society. Our hope is not in being accepted by society. Our hope is not in having a Christian mayor or a Christian governor or a Christian president. Thank God. It doesn't look like we're ever going to have any of those things. Our hope is not in those things. What is our hope? What is the old song we say? Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness. That's where our hope is. No matter the level of persecution, no matter if tomorrow they make Christianity illegal, punishable by prison, punishable by death, our hope doesn't change. Our hope is in nothing less than Jesus Christ and eternity with Him. Listen again. Peter doesn't deny their suffering. He doesn't deny that they're being persecuted. He doesn't deny that life is hard. But again, he reminds them, their hope's not in this life anyway. It's, our confidence is not in this life. Our promise, our hope is in the life to come. What did Paul say? Paul said, you kill me if you want to. It'll just get better. It'll just get better. 
You kill me. You just send me to be with my Lord. Don't worry about it. Why? Because he says, I have hope. Look in this. Uh, jump down to verse 18. Not really one of the verses in our text this morning. But, but if you look at it, he says, For Christ also hath once suffered uh, for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, and being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Look what he says. He says, Christ suffered for our sins, and he has brought us to God. What can the world do? What can their persecution, what can their harm, what can their suffering do to us that takes from us, robs us of being brought to God? What did Paul say? Paul says, nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. I'm famine, peril, death, any of those things. Nothing. You know what the word nothing means in Greek? Anybody? Nothing. The same thing in Greek, it means in English, Chinese, and everywhere else. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Christ brought us to Him. Listen, that's where our hope is. Our hope is in the righteousness of being brought to God. That He has clothed us in His righteousness. That's our hope. If our hope is being accepted and popular in all of society, you're going to be a miserable, miserable soul. Our hope is in Christ. We rejoice in this. He says in 1 Peter, back in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, by this, by this, he says, you rejoice. What's he talking about when he says, by this, you rejoice? Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Even though now for a little while you've been grieved in this. What this? In this fact that you are a child of God. And no matter how much the world hates me, God loves me. And nothing this world can do to change it. We have got to live in this world, in these circumstances, with that hope. That's why he says in that verse, be ready to give a reason, an answer, for the lively hope that is within you. We're used to seeing someone persecuted lash out, fight, get mean. We're not used to seeing someone suffer and be harmed, respond with hope. That's why it's so unusual. That's why somebody comes up and says, what's wrong with you? When you get passed over for that promotion at work, does that change who you are as a believer? Does that change your destiny? Does that change your eternity? Does that change your relationship with Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. 
And so the day after you get passed over for that promotion, when you, you know what the world's expecting? You get passed over for promotion at work, and everybody at work knows you got passed over for that promotion. You know what they're expecting to have to do for the next few weeks? Avoid you like the plague. Because they, they figure you're going to be mean and nasty for a while. You come walking in with a smile on your face. All of us need to go to work with Jackie over here. I see pictures she puts up. Jackie goes to work about every day, can't eat cookies and banana nut bread. And people she works with got to be just being around. You go walking in that next day with a plate of cookies and a smile on your face. Why? Because your joy didn't come from a promotion. Your joy doesn't come from your boss. Your joy comes from Jesus. Your hope comes from Him. The world didn't give it to you, and the world can't take it from you. And whether we are sitting at the throne, the power seat of this world, and the world is bowing down, and we're making all the decisions, and we're outlawing all the, the sinful, immoral things, whether we're in that position, or whether we're on the outside looking in, and this world's passing all kinds of rules and laws and things that make Christianity even harder, then we still, we have the same hope. We have the same hope today. We did, I think most of you would agree, if you know anything about history, in, in the 1800s, by and large, the church was a powerhouse. It was a force in society. They didn't have any different hope than we do. They had the same hope. The same confidence, the same faith. It's easy for the rich to have hope. It's easy for the healthy, the wealthy to have hope. What Peter calls on us is in the midst of fiery trials, in the midst of rejection, in the midst of hatred, in the midst of a world gone crazy, that we hold our head up high and we're ready to give a reason for the lively hope that is within us. The confidence that the worst thing this world can do to us is the best thing they can do for us. They can take us out of this world today, but all they'll be doing is sending us to be in the presence of our Father. That's our hope. Our hope's not in the things of this world. We're reminded in Acts, where Paul and Silas mentioned them a moment ago, were thrown in prison for their faith, for preaching, thrown in the dungeon, Chained to the wall. You remember what they did when they were in that dungeon, chained to those walls? Anybody? They sang and prayed. Because their praying and singing wasn't based on being free. They still had the, they had the same hope chained to the floor in that dungeon as they did when they were walking the streets preaching. The love of God in their life hadn't changed. I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know what kind of situation you find yourself in. It may be medical. It may be financial. It may be, who knows, maybe a problem at work. 
maybe a problem at home, family members even. That again, this time of year, Christmas season, you know, you you, you know, you you've run into family who again, maybe you said, let's say the blessing, and they ridiculed you and laughed at you. Whatever. Your hope's not in any of those things. Your hope is in Jesus Christ and your eternal life with Him. And whether you're chained in the dungeon with Paul and Silas or whether you're sitting on the throne, your hope doesn't change. It's the same. Peter says, if we're going to live as exiles, if we're going to have any impact on our society, if we're going to keep our own sanity, we can only do it by keeping our hope in Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. Again, I, I don't know what you may be facing today. You could be anywhere on that spectrum of harm and persecution. There very well may be people in here today who your work, your job, your boss, because you're a believer. They persecute, they ridicule, pass you over for promotions or raises. Maybe family members who won't have anything to do with you because of your faith. It comes in all forms and fashion. That's why it's so important to understand those two words that Peter used, harm and suffering. Anywhere from physical abuse, death, whatever it is, doesn't change the fact we are to live with hope. Confidence in Jesus Christ. You're here this morning and I encourage you to come and kneel. To bow at this altar and pray, Lord, help me to have hope. I want to have the kind of lively hope that people can see. That people want to know where it came from, what it is. I want to have that kind of hope. I've told you, that, that's, that's one of my, my greatest prayers, is that before I die, somebody would come up to me and say, I don't know what it is, but something's different. What, what is it you got going on? And it's one thing to go out and tell people about Jesus. Wouldn't it be awesome to have such a lively hope if somebody came to you and asked you about your hope? Did you come this morning and say, Lord, I need hope. I need hope in this world. I need hope in my family. I need hope in my job. My confidence is in you. But this morning you're here and you don't know Christ personally. Can I tell you something that it pains me to have to tell you? But if you don't know Christ personally, if you've never asked him as your Lord to come into your life as your Lord and Savior, you have no hope. You have no hope. You're facing an eternity separated from God separated from all that is good, all that is holy, destined for a lake of fire that was prepared for Satan and his angels. But God wants to give you hope.
you don't know him as your Lord and Savior this morning, would you come and join us online? Would you reach out, call, email, something? Love to talk to you. You can have hope today. Hope for eternity. By asking Christ into your heart. Believers, can your friends and family see the lively hope that is in you? If not, let's pray. Let's fall on all and say, God, give me that hope. One that the world can see. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, God, that you have provided a lively hope. We don't have to live like this world. You tell us we don't have to dream like those with no hope. But I pray this morning that as believers we come before you begging and pleading that you give us that kind of hope that not only we know but the world sees the confidence we have in you. And our hope is not of this world, it's of another world. It's of you. God, there's one here today, one joining us online, who doesn't know you first, and has no hope. And I pray that you speak to their heart, convicting them that today will be the day they come and ask you to see their life. And today will be the day of salvation. We'll give you the glory and the honor for what you do here today. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we stand together. I have been tired and followed you. Um, and some of you clapping and some of you are uh, 
Yeah. Um, they went to the grocery store, they went, oh, I hate that. Um, but, um, uh, yeah. uh, so, again, if, if we do, we just go make this announcement for the rest of the winter. If we do ever have snow, that weather, have to cancel services, we do it in a couple of ways. Uh, it will be on, again, all the major TV channels. Um, and we will put a post on our Facebook page. Um, we will call you and or text you. Most of you have the ability to text. You can do it much quicker. Um, if you don't get texts or phone calls from here, um, let me know, because that means we don't have your number. Um, and uh, if you want to be notified, um, you need uh, to get your number. In fact, there was a text went out Friday or Saturday um, to everybody in the church. If you did not get it, then that means we do not have your number and we can't notify you. Uh, or we may have your number and have something set up for you. That's also a possibility. Um, but either way, if you did not get a text, either Friday or Saturday, we didn't know. Friday or Saturday? Yesterday, what? Yesterday. Yesterday. Yeah, Saturday. Uh, you did not get a text from, well, from me, actually, uh, yesterday. Um, let me know. Um, and uh, some of you don't get that, no matter what we do, because you don't, you know, say amen, man. I want to text where I text that. Uh, and so, um, if, you know, if, if you should get that, can get that, and didn't get that, let me know because then we need to call So just so you know uh, about that. All right? Uh, and so we'll pray that um, if it snows, it's one of those typical Canapolis Concord snows that looks real pretty for about 20 minutes and then it's not. Uh, and those are the best time. All right? Let's pray for this year. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for allowing us to gather here this morning uh, in the house. Uh, I pray the Lord that you'll bless each one. Thank you for the wonderful year you've given us uh, individually and as a church. Uh, pray, Lord, that uh, in this coming year, uh, God, that we would uh, impact this community, uh, God, that we would carry the gospel, that people would come to know Christ, uh, Lord, that we would do your work here uh, in this community where you plan. Uh, God, just go with us as we leave here. Uh, God, direct, keep us safe uh, as uh, we go into this new year. We give you all the honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.